good morning. So good to be with you here today. As we begin, I just want to do something you don't normally do. And just if you if you call New City Church home, if you've been here for a while, if you serve, I just want to say thank you to you. Um, as you know, today is our first day going to two services. And what can sometimes happen as churches grow and things change, there could be kind of a Kind of, we want things to stay the way we are. They are. We like how things are. Um, but at the end of the day, again, our mission here at New City Church is to help people meet Jesus and grow in a relationship with Him. And so, thank you for being flexible. Um, I've had like no one come and complain and say, "Why are we going to two services? Why are we doing this?" Um, you guys have been all in from the beginning, and so thank you for doing that. Thank you for allowing us to create more spaces for more people to connect with Jesus, and I really do mean that, and I'm really uh, appreciative for what you have done and what you continue to do. Um, These next two weeks are going to be a little bit different, at least for me, than normal, Um, and so I just want to be honest with you up front. Um, As we prepare for what's ahead for New City, obviously we've gone to two services and and all that sort of thing, Um, so if you call New City Church home, or even if you're just checking out New City Church, or maybe you're not even sure about this whole Jesus thing, um, here's my prayer, so I'm just going to let you know up front over today and next weekend is that you would feel convicted and compelled to take your next step here at New City Church, whatever that may be for you. So not that you would feel shamed or guilted into taking your next step, but I'm going to just let you know my prayer is that you would feel convicted and compelled to take your next step uh, at New City Church, whatever that may be for you. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at a passage uh, in Matthew chapter 9, and it's a kind of a saying of Jesus, I guess, if you will. And I think it's a passage that causes uh, some confusion and maybe even some guilt as to what does it mean for me as the, a believer, as a follower of Jesus. And so what I want to do is I want to look at this passage, talk about what this means for you, what this means for New City Church as we look towards the future. And so here's what it says in Matthew chapter 9. It'll be on the screen. Uh, Jesus is with his disciples. They've been going around and performing miracles and telling people about Jesus and all that sort of thing. And it says this, starting in verse 35. Uh, Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, and here's the part that I think causes some confusion and maybe even some guilt. He said this, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And so maybe you're familiar with this passage, maybe you're not, um, but I think here's what you may be thinking when you read this. You may be thinking, uh, what does this have to do with me, right? You may be thinking, I'm not in maybe vocational, paid, full-time ministry, and so what does it mean for me to work or, to be a worker? And if that's what it means, and I'm not that, that's not me, I'm not a vocational, in vocational ministry, uh, how is this relevant to me? And so a couple of questions you may be thinking, here's the first one. Is this saying that God means that we all need to be in full-time, what we kind of think of as paid vocational ministry? Uh, Maybe he's leading you in that direction. Maybe he's not. I just want to assume over these next two weeks that the answer to that question is no, that God wants you to be doing exactly what you're doing, that God has given you giftings and passions to pursue certain things for a reason, and he wants you to do that. And so the question is, what do I do then? If I'm not supposed to be a worker, as I kind of maybe stereotypically think this passage is describing, what does this mean for me, right? And so the first thing is, I just want all of us to know, is that if you are a follower of Christ, if you are a believer in Jesus, that you are a worker, that he is actually talking about you in this 
passage, right? That's, he's praying for you. And so the question is, what does it mean to be a worker in the season of life that I'm at? Maybe I'm a stay-at-home mom. Maybe I'm a college student. Maybe I work full-time. Maybe I'm taking care of a, of a sick family member. Wherever I am, what does it mean to be a worker in that season? And to that, I would say, man, you guys are asking great questions this morning. And so here, here's what this means, right? Here's what this passage means to us. And I think, here's what I also think too, is I think sometimes when we read passages like this and we don't understand how it applies to us or we don't think it applies to us, we don't know what to do about it and so we don't do anything with it, right? Anything in life, right? If it doesn't apply to you or if you're not sure how it applies to you, you don't do anything with it and you may not even feel guilty because you're like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do so I'm just not even going to worry about it. So let me give you a couple examples of how this has turned out in my life, right? Like doing taxes, like I never even cared about taxes, never thought about them until I got married and had to do my taxes, right? You, didn't, you don't think about it until I actually had to do it, until it was actually relevant to me, until it actually applied to me. That is when I actually cared about figuring out how it worked. Or health insurance, right? It is a good thing to have, but it is terrible, right, to deal with, right? And you figure that out. Before I, before I, get, before I got married, before I was an adult, I didn't even think about health insurance. I didn't think about the cost of all that sort of thing. But then when it became relevant to me, I began to say, okay, how does this apply to my life? Or buying a house and mortgages and leases and all that sort of thing. Again, it had nothing to do with me until I bought my first house, and so I never even learned about it. I didn't even care, right? This is why in school, you would always ask your teacher this question, why do I need to know this, right? You would think, why do I need to know this thing? It has nothing to do with my life. And here's what would happen, right? So if you, if you are in a subject or if you learned something that you didn't, like you knew didn't really matter to your life at all, like you would want to get a good grade, maybe so you can go to college and that sort of thing. But if you got a bad grade, like you didn't really care, right? Other than the fact that maybe you wanted your GPA, but like personally, you're like, this has nothing to do with my life. And so I don't even care. Now, maybe that was your attitude to every single class you've ever taken. And that is, that's okay. I'm not judging. But that's what we do, right? If we don't understand or don't think something applies to us, we don't do anything with it. Or, it, you know, to, ch- to change it up a little bit, there are, those, there are those things in our lives that we think, you know, it's probably good to know how to do this, but I'm not sure I'll ever need it or I'm not sure how to do it, so I just won't. So, for example, like surviving in the wild, like... You're, you nobody. Like maybe you know how to make a fire, but like it would be awful, right? I have no, I have no idea. I would die like in the second day, and it's always funny to me because people are like, "Man, if the zombie apocalypse came, this would be so much fun. I'd kill the zombies." I'm like, "No, it would be terrible. There's no AC. There's no heat. There, there's no microwaves. There's no refrigerators. There's no like uh, Duke basketball. Like I don't want to live. I don't want to live in that world, right? And I think if we're being honest, here's the thing. I think we kind of look at this passage kind of like surviving in the wild. Like we think, okay, it'd be good to know how to do this, but I'm not sure how to do this, and I probably can survive if I never actually learn how to do this, right? I think that's what happens when we read a passages like this. Like we think, okay, I should, I should do that, but I don't know what it means for me. And it's not that we don't care. It's just that we don't know how it applies to us, or we don't know what to do about it, right? And so what happens is when we read passages like this, what we kind of think is, okay, maybe I'm not supposed to be a vocational ministry. This just means I'm, I'm supposed to share my faith verbally with my coworkers and friends, which is true. That, that's something that we all should strive to do. But then you think, okay, I haven't done this in a long time, so I must be a terrible Christian, right? So we, we read this, maybe we avoid it because we just feel guilty, like we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing here. And so again, I just want to let you know, how, before I explain how this applies to you and to me, um, that you are who Jesus prayed for in this passage. 
Not your friend, not your coworker, not your family, not your cousin who's in ministry or that sort of thing. You, right? If you are a follower of Jesus, he is praying for you. And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're not quite sure what all this means, Jesus is also praying for you that you would come to understand who he is. And so he is praying for you. I just want to let you know that he's praying for you, which means that you and I have actual work to do. That if we're a follower of Christ, we have actual work to do, and there is something that you can actually do right where you are without moving across the country, without quitting your job, without going somewhere else, that you can work for the kingdom of God right where you are. And here's the reality. Uh, Here's what we need to do to know with this, is that for us to impact who God has called us to impact, both individually and if New City Church is your home at New City Church, then we have to do it together. You've heard the phrase probably that if you want to go fast, go alone. And if you want to go far, then you go together, right? If we want to impact who God has called us to impact, we have to do it together. Or maybe you know this, maybe you don't, um, but the animal, animals that pull things like ox and draft horses and that sort of thing, if you take, let's say, and I don't know the exact weight that they can pull, but let's say one can pull 5,000 by itself and another one can pull 5,000, you would think if you put them together, they would pull twice the weight. They would pull 10,000 pounds. But actually what we find is that when you put them together, sometimes they'll even pull three times the amount, like 15,000 pounds or, 17, or over three times the amount, 17,000 pounds. What happens is when you put these animals together, they don't just double what they could have done on their own, but it actually exponentially increases the impact that they have. So what I want to do these next two weeks is give us two ways that you can be a worker right where you are. Again, without moving across the country, without quitting your job, pursuing the passions that you have, or doing the things that God has called you to do in this season of life, I want to share with you two ways that you can fulfill this passage right where you are. And so here's the first one that we're going to look at this morning. The first way that we can be a worker is supporting the advancement of the kingdom of God through working and or another way of putting it through serving. And I want to give you an example of, of how this happens and then kind of explain more what this means for you and for me. In Acts chapter 6, we see this take place. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and flip there. There's a black one around you. You can go ahead and take out if you don't have one, and you can take that one home with you. That is our gift to you. But if Acts chapter 6, uh, page 971, I think it is, in the Bible in front of you, go ahead and flip there. I want to read you a passage of what happens when people come together and serve, right where they are, without changing the making some radical life change. And so what's happening here, to give you some background real quick, this is Acts chapter 6, and so this is after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension back into heaven of Jesus. So the church has just gotten started. People are getting to know Jesus. The gospel is spreading. This is currently taking place in Jerusalem. And here's what happens, starting in verse 1. So it's this. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in numbers, so more people were becoming followers of Jesus, There arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. So the Hellenistic Jews, if you're familiar with the Israelite history, you know, often Israelites would be um, uh, invaded and then some of the Jews would be dispersed among the other nations. And so the Hellenistic Jews were Jews that had been dispersed, so they didn't grow up in Jerusalem. They spoke Greek as their primary language, not Hebrew. They worshiped God in synagogues because they didn't have a temple nearby. So they're kind of the the Jews that had spread around, but some of them had come back to Jerusalem. The Hebraic Jews are the Jews that had stayed in, uh, uh, in Jerusalem or in the surrounding area. They primarily spoke Hebrew. They went to the temple to worship. And so they're Jews ethnically, but some of them, again, had been dispersed through the nation. Some of them had stayed there. And there's a, disp- uh, there's a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews that they're saying, basically, our widows have been overlooked. That's not okay. We need to fix this. And so here's what happens in verse 2. 
So the 12, which is the 12 disciples, the original disciples of Jesus, summoned the whole company of disciples, which is just the believers in the area, gathered some of them together, and said this, it would not be right for us, that is the 12 disciples, to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So what's happening here in this translation is kind of harsh. It makes it sound like the disciples were saying, we're too good for this, so we're not going to do it. What's actually happening here is the disciples are increasing in number. There's more people coming into the, the body of Christ, and so there's more needs to be met. And the disciples no longer have the time to preach the word, to teach the gospel, and also to serve the widows and serve those in the community. And so they were saying, look, we've been with Jesus. We, we were the ones originally tasked with teaching and spreading the good news. And so we need to primarily focus on that. And we need to call up people to serve and use their giftings to serve the needs of the body. And so they appoint seven people to lead this. And here's what it says, verse five, the proposal pleased the whole company. So everyone's like, yeah, that's good. You guys continue focusing on what you're doing and we'll get some people, raise up some people to serve in the needs that we have. And so here's what they did. Now, again, I've said this before. If you don't know how to pronounce names in the Bible, say them confidently and fast, and people will think it's correct. So here we go. So the proposal pleased the whole company. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. Right? You're like, are you sure? But he, sound, he sounded confident. So that's got to be right, right? They had, they, they had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So they rose up seven to lead this. Now, it wasn't just that the, those seven men were, were going to be the ones that were serving the needs of the body. They were just going to be the ones that were leading and kind of organizing the whole effort. There was actually going to be many more that were joining them in this. And so that's what happens. If there's a need, we're growing in number. In order for us to keep this going, we need to be able to serve one another. We need people's help. And so that's what happened. People rose up to the occasion. People served right where they are. They didn't move anywhere. They didn't quit their job. They didn't change anything about their lives. They just used their time and talents to serve the body of Christ. And here's what happens in verse 7. It says this. So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number and a large group of priests, that is just followers of Jesus, became obedient to the faith. In other words, what happened was when the word of God spread when people stepped up. The word of God spread when people, here's what's interesting, served the body. So they weren't even doing outreach to the community, which is a great thing. Followers of Christ, we should love our community. We should love those in our city and our neighborhoods. But that's not what they did here. They serve the body itself and the kingdom of God expanded. Why? I think two reasons. One, why? There were probably some people that were apart, but they weren't really sure about this whole Jesus thing. And then they saw how they were loving each other, like, no, I want in. And then the surrounding community saw, man, there's something different about this, how they love one another, how they treat one another, how they, how they serve those in the body. I want to learn more about that. And so as they serve the body specifically, the kingdom of God Expanded. So let me just ask you this. If you serve at New City Church in any capacity, why do you serve? Is it because someone told you to? Is it because you're a partner here at New City Church and so we ask you to? Is it to honor God and advance his kingdom? And for all of us, that's probably some of it, but it, what is, is that the main reason? Is it because you've kind of always done it and so it's just kind of the thing to do? Or is it because, hey, it's a new small church, they need help, so I'm going to kind of fill in the gap here? Why do you serve why you serve? That's the question for us, because here's the reality of it. You and I have a role to play. And at New City Church, I know it kind of seems sometimes we're two services, we have our own space, that sort of thing, that we have it all together. We do not. We need you. 
right? We need you to step up and do whatever God may be calling you to do in this body. And also, what's, what's really important, too, is that a weekend service in particular, so other than online, which we do a lot here at New City Church, try to make it easy for people to connect with us online, but in America and the Western world, if people are going to give a church a chance, Christianity a chance, they're going to go to a Sunday service probably first before a Bible study or anything like that. And so that's part of the reason why we put a big emphasis on serving here is we want to make it easy, easy as possible for people who walk through the first time to kind of maybe have some of those questions in their mind that the people that were uh, in Jerusalem around the, these disciples probably had. I mean, there's something different about this group of people. There's something different going on here that I want to learn more about. And before you think that I'm just telling you this to be nice and to be like, hey, we need more people to serve, and so he's just saying this so that we'll sign up and serve, here's what I want to do. I want to share with you a few stories of the impact that you guys have had here at New City Church. And one of the great privileges that I get is that I get to hear these stories. People come up to me all the time and say, here, this thing happened to me. Here, here, here's what happened to me. I'm, I'm so grateful for this. And the funny thing is, it very rarely is anything I did. It's mostly what you guys have done, and then you don't, know, you don't get to hear it. So if you think I'm just saying this because I want you to serve more at New City Church or in a different capacity or whatever that may be for you, I want to share with you a few stories, if that's okay, that I've kind of collected over the past few months from people who have said, man, there's something going on here that's made a difference in my life. So here we go. Here's the first one. It was from a college student I got that brought one of his friends uh, in the spring. And here's what he sent me. He sent me a text, and he said this. Uh, this person spent literally the whole car ride back to campus gushing about how much she loves New City and how excited she is every Sunday to go and how it's the first church she has gone. She's the, it's the first church she has gone to where she's felt such a strong connection. It was an awesome and encouraging conversation just thought I'd share. Here's another one. We decided to come back because we felt uh, wanted and loved. Here's another one. I went to another church when I moved down here before my wife did, so they moved down here for a job relocation. He said, "In in the six times that I went there, I talked to one person. On our first day at New City, we talked to everyone. The comfortability and the sense of the community is what is bringing us back. Here's another one. We came because we felt welcomed. We also did not feel like we were being marketed to. Everyone's love for Jesus and enthusiasm is genuine. Here's another one. We came back because the people were so welcoming and patient with our family. They listened to our concerns regarding our children and loved them through the anxiety of being in a new place. After a year of faithfully being part of New City, my kids still beg to go to church. It's truly God's family loving one another through life. Here's another one. Let me give you some backstory on this one. Uh, this happened about a month ago. This was uh, Emily. So Adams, who was on staff here, he did our next steps uh, earlier in the service. His wife uh, shared this with our with our staff. They, uh, our plans are to send them out to plant a church in a few years in his in their hometown. And so their family came about a month ago. And here's what she said. She said, "Our nieces loved Little City. They couldn't stop talking about it." They kept saying they want to come back and come to New City, and they wish that when Adam starts his church, that the little city teachers could come with him to his church. And, and here's, here's the thing. Um, I have so many stories that I could share of, of I felt welcomed, I felt cared for, and I came back. And what's happening is this isn't because the worship was amazing. This isn't because the preaching was amazing. It was because you guys came and used your time and your talents to create an atmosphere. People said there's something different going on, and I want to be a part of that. And I want to share with you one more story that's a little long. might take me a couple minutes to get through it. But I want to share with you the totality of it to show you what happens when you serve and when you make a difference. And uh, here's what it says. It says this. 
I wanted to message you and tell you why I came back to New City. And I guess my story is a little odd because I had noticed the church signs every time my boyfriend's kids came to Taekwondo. And we would come, and I always wanted to stop in, but I just didn't. And when I finally did, it wasn't a service. So there was a Taekwondo place on the other side of the parking lot. So I guess they had come a few times, saw our signs. And then she said this, We brought all the kids to trunk or treat for the first time. And for the first time in a long time, I actually felt love from a church and its people. Who was at trunk or treat last October? Yeah, there you go. So here's where the story, the story started uh, almost a year ago. And uh, she said this, See, I was raised in church. I asked Jesus into my heart at nine years old. My dad's a minister, and we traveled all over, my mom, sisters, and me, singing and my dad preaching. I did that until I was 24 years old. I married at 21, and I have three kids from my previous marriage. I've been divorced for going on 13 years now because my ex-husband was unfaithful multiple times, and he was very abusive in every way, mental, uh, emotional, and physical. Fortunately, I found the strength to get away from that relationship, even though it took me a while to do it. I tell you all of this just to share a little of my story. Three years ago, I messed up, and there's no excuse for it or any other better way to put it than I messed up, and now I have my youngest son, and now I understand more than ever why God wants us to wait and not have sex before marriage. I was married with my other three kids, so it was totally different. I was down about it for a long time, and I became even more down about it when I was told by a church that I was not welcome because I was pregnant out of wedlock. But I already knew that. They didn't have to tell me. But to be told that in that, in that way really hurt. So I didn't go to church hardly at all while pregnant with him. I, now, I know I was wrong, and it's not anyone's fault by mine. Fast forward to after we came to Trunk or Treat. I was literally up one morning doing my devotions, and it hit me. We go lots of places where people may say or do things that hurt us, and then we don't always go back. So it was then I decided that I needed to go back to church. Because while people had hurt me, God hadn't done anything to me. It took all that was in me to come to New City, so much so that the first couple of times I came, I stood outside and listened just to make sure, just to, be, to make sure that I would be gone before anyone walked out of the door and saw me. But, but I knew Jesus was in and at New City, and that's something I just couldn't shake. It was like a magnet was pulling me. I was so drawn there. When I finally found the nerve to come in, listen to this, it literally felt like a breath of fresh air, and all I could do was cry. And for the first time in a long time, they weren't sad or hurt tears. They were happy tears. They were tears of finally being back where I belonged, even though I didn't know any of you. The love and the warmth I felt, the Jesus I felt, was literally unreal. It's what I'd missed being a part of for a good while. You all didn't know anything about me or what I had been through. And I'm not normally one to just put myself out there right away. But I felt that I could for the first time in a long time. I'll stop babbling now because I've definitely done a lot of that here. New City Church is a loving church with loving people, and I mean that. I wouldn't say it, and I wouldn't be here if it wasn't true. And so if you will allow me to kind of reinterpret verse 7 of Acts chapter 6 real quick and say this. So the word of God spread, and the disciples in Raleigh greatly increased in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. See, we say this a lot, too, if you serve at New City. You have no idea who's coming through those doors for the first time. You have no idea what people are going through. And when you see people serve and love one another, that's when God's kingdom expands. And I don't know if you've picked up on this, but all these stories I've shared, these weren't like uh, selectively chosen. I hear stories like this all the time. And one thing you'll hear missed out is that this has nothing to do with me. I have never, I've, no one has ever said, I came back to New City Church because you were awesome. Now, <laughs> 
please don't fire me. I promise I'm trying really hard. Okay. All right. And here's the deal. It's not that music, the worship doesn't matter. It's not that the preaching doesn't matter. Let's be honest. It does. But it is not what brings people back. It is not what brings hurt people back. It is not what brings questioning people back. It's you that brings them back. It's not me. We think this passage in Matthew chapter 9 is talking about me. It's not, I don't bring people back. You bring them back. And when you play your part, the kingdom of God expands. And when you don't, the kingdom of God misses out. It's not just the church misses out or this organization misses out or this thing misses out. No, the kingdom of God itself misses out because you don't play your part. And so what we need to know is that there's a role for us to play right where you are. Uh, one more passage real quick. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus has, has been traveling with his disciples, and James and John, who are two of Jesus' closest disciples, are also brothers. Uh, their mom comes up to Jesus and asks Jesus to promise that her sons would sit on his right hand and his left hand in his kingdom, like the places of honor. And then the other disciples hear this, and they get upset. They're like, well, that's not fair. Why would they sit on his right and left hand? We deserve to sit on his, life, right, his right and left hand. And so they're arguing, and then Jesus says this, in Matthew chapter 20 to be on the screen. It says, Jesus called them over and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, that is those who are, do not believe in Jesus, do not believe in God, lord it over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. It must not be like that among you, those who are followers of Christ. On the contrary, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came not to say, hey, look how great I am, even though he is great. Hey, look how awesome I am, even though he is awesome. He came to lay down his life for us so that we could have redemption and grace and forgiveness in him. And this is why we serve. Here's the bottom line for us this morning. Now, this is what I want us to know, and that's this, that because God gave it all for me, I serve so others can know he gave it all for them. We don't serve to check a box. We don't serve to say, hey, I did my part this month or this week. No, we do this in response to what Jesus has done for us. It's not about us. It's about as many people as possible seeing and experiencing the love of Christ because God gave it all for me and for you and for us. We serve so others can know he gave it all for them. Again, and here's why we do it. In 1 Corinthians 12, I'm not going to read it if you're familiar with the passage. It's one of the times where Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's writing about how the, 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 the believers, those, you and I who follow Christ, are part of a body. And he basically says, you know, we have different roles to play. And he's saying, if you're, a, if you're a toe, for example, don't complain that you're not a foot or you're not a knee. Or if you're an eye, don't complain you're not an ear or, or a nose if you're not a hand, right? Because what he's saying is, it doesn't matter what your part is, we need you to play it. And if you don't play it, the body of Christ is hurt because of it. Adam, who's in charge of our serve teams here, he puts it, he's put it this way when I was talking to him a couple weeks ago. He said, if you're a hand, then you need to be a hand. Don't try to be an eye. If you're not a people person, you don't try, need to try to be a people person. Serve behind the scenes. He said, we need our so-called weaknesses, at, or we need to see our so-called weaknesses as strengths so that we can be used. It's so easy for us to say, I'm not good like that person is. I don't have the gifting of that person is. Well, guess what? That person doesn't have the gifting that you have. And when you serve, the body of Christ increases and expands. And when you don't, the body of Christ misses out. And so let me just say this. I know it's convenient. Uh, it can be inconvenient to serve, but we just need to remember why we are doing this. We're not doing this to say, hey, I, I served this week. God's happy with me. I played my part. No, we're doing this so as many people as possible can meet Jesus and grow in a relationship with him. And we do this in response for what God has done for us, right? Jesus in our place, he loved and gave his life for us so that we may have forgiveness and redemption and ultimately spend eternity in his kingdom, not because we're great, 
because he's great and we serve so other people can experience that as well. So here's what's going to happen. We're going to sing one more song together and then Adam's going to come up to close to kind of explain what our next steps are. And if you serve at New City, uh, you know this at this point. Things are changing a little bit. They're getting more complex with more people. And so we appreciate your willingness to be flexible. And so wherever you are, whether you already serve, whether you're thinking about serving, whether you're new to New City Church, just want you to know that you have a role to play. Just like Jesus said, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. And I just want to say, let that not be said of us. Let it not be said of New City Church that we didn't play our part, and let it not be said of you that you didn't play your part right where you are, right where you're pursuing maybe the career or raising the kids or going to whatever you're doing, right where you are, you can still serve and make a difference and be an answer to Jesus' prayer all those years ago. Remember, because God gave it all for me, I serve so others can know he gave it all for them. Let's pray. So much for your, your son and the gift that you came and that you served, that you didn't think of uh, yourself, that you thought of us, even though we had did nothing to deserve it, nothing to earn your love and your grace. You still freely gave it by serving and giving your life for us. And here's my prayer at New City Church. As you have been more gracious to us than we deserve, and as you've allowed more people to come through our doors and get connected here at New City Church, that we would be a people and a body that take this seriously, that we would know, hey, there's going to be times where it's inconvenient. There's going to be times where we may not want to do it. Maybe we've had a long week. Maybe we've got all these things going on, but we're going to say, you know what? In response to what God has done for me, in response to the great love that I've experienced with Je- through Jesus, I want to play my part in helping as many people as possible meet Jesus and grow in a relationship with him. And I can do that right where I am, right with the skills that I have, right with the giftings that you've given me, and the time and the place in which you've put me. And so, God, I continue to pray that you would allow us to impact as many people as you would allow us to impact. And regardless who comes through our doors, regardless how many people come through our doors, that you would find us faithful where we are, that you would find us faithful and loving people like you had loved us and serving people like you had served us. God, we give because of what you have given in response to what you have done. And my prayer is that we would all come to know the saving grace of you through what you did in your sacrifice through Jesus. God, thank you for coming in our place. Thank you for giving it all for us so that we can, uh, in response, give ourselves to others so that they can experience who you are. In Jesus' name I pray.